Welcome to Essential Conversations. I'm your host, Rebecca Mears, with my co-host, Luca Alex. We are coming to you live from up on the top of Burnaby Mountain. And I would like to take a moment to respectfully acknowledge that we are broadcasting from the unceded ancestral territory of the Coast Salish peoples, the Squamish, the Musqueam, the Coquitlam, and the tsleil And what that means to me as a settler is that I want to take a step back to remember that... Um, I'm the add-on, <laughs> and that there are voices of the people who've lived here for millennia, and that um, I would like their voices to have front and center. Um, and it is Pride Week, and we are busy here at CGSF. There's people making buttons and preparing for our Pride contribution to the parade and we are absolutely delighted to contribute to the spirit of pride this week with our guest today who is Marianne Saunders a transgender educator an amateur feminist theologian of trans embodiment which feels so fantastic I just I just want to know what it means <laughs> you know it we sounds think it's so good yes Marianne thank you so much for joining us today I'm really happy to be here thank you for inviting me <laughs> yes yeah. it's fantastic it all just yeah. came together Shoop, it was fantastic yeah so um I love that you played with the titles right. because it gives us the space to then say what does this mean to you okay yeah Tell us, where do you want to start from? Um, well, so I'll start with the first one because it's, I think, more straightforward. Okay. Um, a transgender educator. I'm, um, I'm on faculty at UBC. Um, I'm a trans woman. Um, uh, I have a, well, I'll just leave it at that for now. I'm yeah. a trans woman. Um, and um, uh, I have found that in my life as a professional educator, um, uh, who I am has been really uh, an important piece of of the kind of work that I do. So um, uh, what this means is that I actually spend a lot of my time, both professionally and just in my everyday life, um, uh, educating people about trans lives. Um, and um, not all trans people want to do this work or are prepared to do it. And most of the time I'm okay with it. So I think of this as just one of the roles that I have in the world. Right? The second one, amateur um, feminist theologian of trans embodiment, uh, that that comes about uh, because I'm uh, I'm a a lifelong uh, Anglican. I'm a, a churchgoer. I'm I, I belong to a church here in Vancouver. I don't have any formal theological education, um, but one thing that I became aware of when I um, 
went through my own gender transition, well, there were two pieces. One was that um, when I transitioned, um, my own spiritual life deepened uh, to a degree that I could, I had not anticipated. Uh, I started hormone therapy, and I and I knew, I knew all of the things that hormones do, right? I, I and what their side effects were, and what could uh, happen, or what would happen, or what might happen. But the one piece that nobody warned me about, and uh, probably because nobody expected it, and I certainly didn't, was like this experience uh, almost of religious conversion, right? As as unexpected side effect of hormone therapy. Um, And so then one of the things I became aware of was that in the, and I, and I belong to a very kind of LGBTQ 2S plus inclusive um, church community, um, but I became aware that people really hadn't thought through what it meant to be specifically inclusive of transgender Christians in that um, envir- in, 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 in that community. Um, and so going back to transgender educator, it started, I felt like I, on some level it fell to me to start doing some of that work. Um, and uh, one of the things that I really wanted was in all of this was some kind of uh, theology of trans embodiment because for me um, it was when I started to approach my body differently. It was when I started to really take ownership of my body. Uh, I felt like it was mine as opposed to belonging to the culture out there, which had always told me what it meant, that um, that I also had this experience of a deepening of my spiritual life and my faith life. So I was like, hey, I, I need some kind of theology to go with this. Mm. So I started to uh, try to articulate that. So, um, but, uh, so the amateur piece is that in a formal sense, I don't really have any, uh, you know, I'm I'm an academic. I'm all about the qualifications, right? And I don't have any formal qualifications to do this. I just have lived experience and a desire to articulate having, this. Having been to the, one of the schools that placed a lot of emphasis on those trainings, I mean, so much of it is is just the reading and the discussion of things, which no doubt you've been participating in forever. Yeah. So I would say your voice is as legit as <laughs> most any voice out there, and yeah. perhaps more so because you're coming from a completely different angle. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're actually mm-hmm. shining light in a new way and there is so much value in that um, so much better than the talking heads that have been kind of debating the same kind of points for centuries and centuries Mm -hmm. I love that you're doing that (laughs) I love it it's it's there's a boldness to it and a hey look what I see standing over here (laughs) and a lived experience yeah Yeah. I mean and that doesn't that doesn't make it um, the defining piece of information out there but it, it is a piece of information yeah. from someone who's living it yeah that's right yeah. yeah and 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 one of the things that i say is look there are all kinds of ways that we could think about what a trans theology could look like it doesn't have to be about embodiment mm-hmm. but from where i'm sitting because that 
um, because of my own experience of my body and the relationship between that and my own uh, spiritual life, um, for me, from where I'm sitting, that makes a lot of sense. But other uh, other trans uh, Christians or trans people of faith might approach uh, a trans theology from a very different perspective. Sure, yeah. sure. So, yeah. 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 Um, something popped out at me while you were describing, you know, the impetus for this. Oh, I have a new perspective here. Mm-hmm. The, as you were saying, the transition of your physicality to be more in alignment with who you knew yourself to be and the, and the really feeling that connection with your body and a sense of ownership yeah. of your body. This spoke to me. I have not gone through a transition across gender, but I have gone through the, the transition of ownership right. of my body. Yeah. And so that I feel is a, it's a message that can resonate maybe even farther than you might know. Yeah. Well, well and, uh, I, I, and especially from the religious background. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I lost my ownership because of yes. the messages yeah, yeah, yeah. within the faith. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I, and I, and I think, and I think that there are, uh, that there's a, a connection there between. So for me, the ownership of the body piece is is partly the feminist piece, right? Because yeah, I was just going to say big, that. Yeah, that that's mm-hmm. one of one of the one of the large concerns uh, of of uh, feminist discourse is um, who gets to control our bodies, who's in charge of them, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's but there's also. Um, uh, but there's also that um, this also ties in with the way in which a lot of uh, uh, um, religious um, uh, communities or traditions function. Mm-hmm. Uh, as so many of them are, are so many of them are rooted in patriarchy in a patriarchal right. culture, right? Mm-hmm. There is um, uh, so so this idea of ownership um, mm-hmm. uh, makes a lot of sense in connection with to my mind, faith and feminism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And we're not done. I mean, I no. think this oh, gosh, is the, no. we're in that nascent yeah. place where yeah. we're just, um, w- not only is there so much more to explore and to say, but but we don't even know what the parameters of this are yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's so new. Yeah. Yeah, I think not new. I'm not new, new. I mean, it's as old yeah. as as human yeah, yeah. beings, but, mm-hmm. but in terms of discourse. Yeah, yeah, in terms of discourse, and in terms of a kind of a a, a um, uh, what's the word? A systematic thinking through of the implications of these things. And uh, even as I say that, I'm aware that you know um, there have been feminist theologians in Christian tradition. Since the 1960s, the 1970s, so which is still very new, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't want to sit here and uh, somehow suggest that, um, you know, uh, this is this is coming from me, no. right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I understand this to be building on something that's already been going on for decades, right? Well, and maybe even longer yeah. than and that yeah. because it yeah. it may have been discussed, but because. The patriarchy was eliminating those voices. Yeah. Nothing was ever recorded in a way that we could go back to. Oh, sure. Right? And if you go back yeah. into uh, European Christian tradition, yeah. there are all kinds and of Hildegard women. of Bingen, and yeah, all yeah. kinds and of Julian people. Julian of Norwich. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah. women who yeah. were, in fact, um, uh, uh, really important voices, um, yeah. and uh, and who we still find important today. Yeah. So, I want to say I. I'm have great esteem for the Anglican Church because of how they tend to be on the forefront of 
pushing what was the norms into mm-hmm. what should be the new norms yeah. for the religious community as a, as a whole. Yeah. Um, I have I have warm feelings towards <laughs> the Anglican <laughs> Church for the work that they're doing yeah. that way, that sort of trailblazing. Yeah. Um, and yet, it was, you know, I picked up that you were saying that um, your personal experience and the spectrum that it's covered and has shown you that there were areas in which uh, your church, which was already uh, a friendly, welcoming, supportive environment, yeah. still had room to grow. Yeah. I am curious, uh, is there any of those elements that you could share with us? Because I think we could all learn from what those parts oh. where it could grow. Yeah, yeah. So some some things were some things are just really basic. Um, uh, three years ago, three and a half years ago, I was at a large uh, kind of. Um, uh, so the, the Anglican Church is organized into what are called dioceses. The diocese is just a region, you know, when, and uh, I don't know how many churches are in our local diocese, but it starts, um, it starts on the Sunshine Coast and, 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 and ends out in Hope. So it's okay. a fairly it's a large area, and there are a lot of churches in there, right? And there was a large kind of diocesan meeting of churches to talk about, um, uh, I don't know, stuff. I can't remember what we were talking about. Um, <laughs> but uh, And we had rented a facility, and I was struck uh, when I was there uh, that it was really easy to find a men's washroom and a women's washroom oh, in yeah. that facility. But it was really hard to find a washroom that was a single-stall, gender-neutral washroom. Mm-hmm. Right? And that it made me think, okay, uh, you know, at uh, if at my church we claim to be welcoming of everyone, mm-hmm. um, there's a basic piece of hospitality mm-hmm. there which we're not accomplishing. It's human function, yeah, right? That's right. Yeah, that's yes. right. Because our, yeah. our because our bathroom signage um, uh, does not indicate that, in fact, these bathrooms are available to right. uh, trans people or gender non-conforming right. or non-binary folks. It hasn't been made explicit. Yeah. That's right. Yes, and exactly. therefore... Yeah. Removing the the wondering. That's the, right. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. little bit of angst. That's yeah. like, am I welcome? Is yeah. it okay? Yeah. yeah, and it's and it's and 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 I see it as being important both for anyone who comes to the church who uh, might be trans or gender nonconforming um, for worship for services but also important because Christ Church Cathedral which is my community is also a building that's used by all kinds right. of community groups mm-hmm. uh, is a concert venue uh, is, right. um, is, a, is is a hub for the Vancouver Food Bank and there right. are a lot of so it's community oriented yeah, yeah, and there are a lot of a lot of trans people who are marginalized who need to make use of the food bank, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so it was just like, um, yeah, no, we need to do something about this. Yeah. And it's also an educational piece for the people who are a part of that community who yeah. aren't transgender but who uh, go to church there and so on. It's yeah. like if we change our bathroom signage, we're also raising their awareness of yeah. the particular yeah. need, yeah. right? So some of it's just yeah. basic stuff like that. And it, it's it's so true how that basic infrastructure makes such a difference for a person's experience and whether they will choose to come back again. Yeah. I'm thinking, I mean, this this is not about um, gender expression or gender, gender identity, but even w- is there a place for 
for um, what do they have for baby change facilities? Right. Are they only yes. in the women's room? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What if it's mm-hmm. a single dad who comes with a yeah. Yeah. with a baby, right? A baby or a toddler, or yeah, yeah. or needs even to be escorted into the, the washrooms. Mm-hmm. Accessibility yeah. is issues, right? Like, yeah. is it is that clearly marked? Is that yeah. all of these are the things that make it because we've taken the time to attend to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, making it obvious, yes. Yeah. Because especially for something like the bathroom, yeah, 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 we're yeah, changing. Yeah. Right, these are the things yeah. that when you need them, you really don't have a whole lot of presence or space of mind to be, I don't know, waiting or asking lots of questions yeah. or you know, it's in a. Am I allowed to use the yeah. bathroom? It's like you just <laughs> gotta do the thing. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So th- yeah. So a super obvious piece. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. some some things are obvious like that, and other things are like. Um, well, having some kind of a, 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 a theological frame for understanding, uh, for example, that that we're not we're not we shouldn't be um, trans people shouldn't find that they kind of have to or that we kind of have to ask for a place at the table, right? It should just be that our theological framework already right. makes space at the table, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that um, so that uh, it's not a question, a sense of having, of, I don't know, of, I can't think of a better better analogy, but you come begging to be right. allowed to be part of the community, mm-hmm. but rather you have a sense rooted in the well, spiritual Well, it makes you an automatic outsider. That's right, right? Yeah. Because the yeah. insiders... Have an yeah. in, have an implicit invitation. Yeah, that's right, and yeah. and often explicit as well. But yeah. but you want it to be both. Yeah, that's right. Everybody's yeah. welcome at the table. Yeah, yeah, and then one other piece that I, I just, I mean, there would be lots of others, but one other that mm-hmm. I just think is worth mentioning is also because so the Anglican Church is a, a liturgical church. You know, some churches where worship is um, comparatively unstructured, um, but in the Anglican Church we. Um, we have our, our, our liturgies, our services, our forms of worship, are, are, um, they're licensed, they are approved, they're laid out in advance. Right. You go to any Anglican church anywhere in the world and you're going to experience something that's relatively similar. Right. right? And we need liturgies that attend to right. the everyday lived experiences or the, or that, or the not the everyday, that attend to the, um, to the, um, uh, kind of the the rites of passage that trans people go through, mm. right? Mm. Uh, liturgies that recognize that people take on new names, right. uh, or that, um, uh, or that um, uh, they might be leaving one life behind and moving into another life, right? right? So, so those transitional have, rituals. That's right. Mm. Yeah, ritual. Mm. So 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 that's another piece that. Another piece that we need, um, right? Right. So there's stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, thank you for your answers to that question. I feel like there's there's so much there that can be mined for almost any uh, organization sure. or group mm-hmm. or gathering to ask these questions of themselves. Yeah. Right? Have we been proactive in making sure that these things are are addressed? And I want to also just do a little shout out to my own. Um, uh, so I belong to a smaller community. At cathedral called St. Bridget's Community. And a little shout out to my community where a couple of years ago yeah, um, uh, our, um, our leadership the, the, my pastor and another person in leadership there came to me and said we need a naming right. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point I was not the only trans person there. And so and it was their leadership 
that led to us coming up with a uh, with a with a ritual with a rite for naming. Um, so uh, and that was great, and that was a really beautiful moment. Um, and that that goes across. Yeah. Many sectors of sure. society as yeah. well, right? Because we were we were talking about how I've changed my name, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. and not because of uh, be just because of personal preference, in that I didn't feel my name represented me. So mm-hmm. there's there's probably lots of people who are going through uh, an identity change. Yeah, and and if it's represented, yeah. and name is what what we're called. Yeah, that's right. how we're summoned, how we identify. Day to day, how we introduce ourselves is such a powerful part of who we are in community. And one thing that I think is lovely about the naming rite that we used is while we developed it thinking specifically of uh, of trans members of our community, it could be used for anyone who Mm -hmm. has felt a need to take on a new name. Yeah. Yeah. So I just sent a tweet out with a link to St. Bridget's page. Oh, yes. nice. Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying to grab all these little oh. things. I'm sending out quotes from you. If anybody would like to connect with that, feel free to come and follow us on Twitter. Our handle is EssentialConv because we cannot spell our entire name. It's too long. So that is spelled Essence, T-I-A-L-C-O-N-V. And uh, you can find the link there to St. Bridget's as well as... Whoop, as well as all of the links that I'll, I'm sure that you're going to refer, refer to a whole bunch of things through, through our conversation. So you'll be able to track them if you come come by and visit us there. So St. Bridget is the patron saint of... Of what? Yeah. I, I'm trying <laughs> She's to asking. Read, yeah, I'm, She's I'm, like, I, yeah, uh, I'm, well, I had it in there. I read this just the other day, oh, and I you? can't remember oh. who... Okay, I'm going like, to look it up. When, I can see when that people we need to pray to St. Bridget, they pray to her about a particular... Well, uh, so I mean, my understanding of Saint Bridget is that, and this, and this wasn't <laughs> anything that. Yeah, what, what have you found? Okay, so I found? pulled it up. <laughs> Apart from being the second patron saint of Ireland, Saint Bridget is also the patron saint for babies, blacksmiths, boatmen, cattle. This is all in alphabetical order. This is cracking me up. Chicken farmers, children, <laughs> <laughs> children whose parents are not married. That's significant, actually, especially yeah. if you think yeah. of the historical yeah. thing. Yeah. Dairy maids, dairy <laughs> workers, fugitives. Infants, mariners, midwives, milkmaids, poultry raisers, printing presses, sailors, scholars, and it and it looks like it goes on. So I'm guess uh, there's a lot of the average Joes in there, oh, and the, yeah. and the people who form the infrastructure yes. of daily life is what I'm hearing there, especially chickens and cattle. Yeah. <laughs> chickens and cattle. <laughs> so that's so funny. So here's how the way I've thought about St. Bridget is. Um, uh, and and I was aware I was aware of this kind of hodgepodge, right? <laughs> um, is that uh, so? St. Bridget's is is an unusual Anglican community because um, uh, we a lot of our a lot of the people who are part of our our um, our community are people who have come to us from other Christian faith traditions, ones that were more conservative, ones where they felt unwelcome, and they have found us. So, um, and, um, and so we have quite a mix of people. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, most Anglican churches uh, consist, to a very large extent, of worshipers who are either cradle Anglicans, mm-hmm. grew up in the church, 
or who have come there from another kind of mainline Protestant uh, tradition. But St. Bridget's is a little unusual because we have people who have come out of evangelical traditions, out of other kinds of conservative traditions. We're just, and, 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 and we are a kind of, a, 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 in some ways, a, a, a lovely hodgepodge. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's so rich. appropriate that, <laughs> that, yeah. that St. Bridget is the patron saint of, of all, all these things. kinds of Yes. All kinds of things. Including animals. Yeah. The other thing that she's famous for is um, is uh, is beer. Uh, she, had a, she had a vision of heaven as a lake of beer where everyone was welcome to come and drink. I love it. That's also about the nourishment, right? Because beer was mm-hmm. such a staple then yeah. and, so, and, and not mm-hmm. more than water because, of course, it had all the electricity. It had the electrolytes. They wouldn't have called it the electrolytes, right. but it would have had that nourishment, right? Yeah. So that if that's all you could have, yeah. it would still sustain you. Yeah. Plus, it didn't carry waterborne diseases. Also, yeah. it makes you feel good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it uplifted. It uplifted. So yeah. for those of you just joining us right now, you're listening to Essential Conversations with Rebecca and Luca. And our guest today is Marianne Saunders, who's a transgender educator and an amateur feminist theologian of trans embodiment mm. and we've been exploring so, all the different aspects of what that means I have a question for you mm-hmm. about your partnership okay. I have a feeling that it as you have gone through your evolution yeah. that your relationship would have also you've been with your partner for quite a long time yeah, if 20, I remember right. 25 years it's beautiful um, and and we've known each other for thirty five years. Amazing. We, wow. we met at church when we were teenagers. I love. Oh, how <laughs> wonderful! Is there anything that you might like to speak to around that that might be useful for anybody who's listening who who's maybe facing transition and wondering how it might impact hmm. their relationships or? Oh, that's a really that interesting is. question, and it's kind of a big one. Um, so it's okay if you take some time there. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I think? Um, if it's okay with you, that uh, well, I think through. Think yep. that through we can come back to it. might be a good time for one of my pieces I of music. I love that you're going there. Okay. Um, and uh, so I'll just give you a brief intro to this piece. Um, uh, it's um, it's the Cole Porter song, Don't Fence Me In. Uh, but it's as performed by David Byrne, who was the, uh, who was the lead uh, singer uh, of the band Talking Heads. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Talking Heads was one of my favorite bands as a teenager and as a young person. And uh, and this comes off a CD that came out in 1990. It was a uh, fundraiser for um, uh, HIV AIDS research mm-hmm. um, and all kinds of different artists covering uh, Cole Porter songs. Oh, okay. And so David Byrne did this and um, and uh, when uh, Tasha and I were planning our wedding, which was back in 1995, um, uh, we decided to make David Burns' Don't Fence Me in uh, the first song, uh, first dance at our wedding. And it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, right? Yeah. Uh, it was supposed to be a joke. Um, uh, but not Getting really. married, but also the Don't Fence Me in it. But not really, although... although Tasha, my partner, said to me later on. Well, yeah, she said, "Really, I did want to be fenced in, but it, <laughs> but it did, but but in in the end, it became like this, um, uh, almost like this. I don't know, this talisman for a relationship that over time has changed a lot. Yeah. Um, and we have had to learn how to be 
uh, flexible and open, and we've also had to do a lot of work um, uh, yeah, with uh, with a counselor um, mm-hmm. in order to find our way through. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, as it turns out, it was the perfect kind of right. first song for our wedding and, yeah. in a sense, theme song for yeah. our marriage. So we let, why Beautiful. We All right, it? let's yeah. fire it so. up. So David Byrne, Don't Fence Me In, and we'll be back in the studio with Marianne Saunders in just a few minutes. listening to Essential Conversations with Rebecca and Luca. And our guest today is Marianne Saunders, a transgender educator and amateur feminist theologian of trans embodiment and overall fabulous fabulousness. (laughs) 
<laughs> and we just listened to... a little to, editing there. Yes, I did it all in. Um, we just listened to her first song choice, which was David Byrne's Don't Fence Me In, which happened to be one of the, fir- the first dance song, I think you said, right? At your wedding. Yeah. little tongue-in-cheek, but then ended up actually being quite yeah. reflective of... Of the theme of your relationship, yeah. yeah. Is there anything else that you might like to share about? Okay, about so well, that? you asked me before before we listened to the song. Mm-hmm. You know, if there were things that I thought people who found themselves in a similar position, maybe mm-hmm. transitioning within a relationship, things that they should know. And uh, on the one hand, I would say I'm not sure how to answer that question sure. because every relationship is different. Mm. Um, uh, but um, and some relationships survive gender transitions, and some don't, right? And uh, some uh, some kind of sail through fairly easily, and others, um, there's a lot of kind of negotiation and work that needs to be done. Um, uh, and I would say that was that was what would characterize our experience as a couple is that we had a lot of work to do together. Um, If I were to offer advice, um, I would say that to, um, I I think it's just just general relationship advice really (laughs) is like just keep listening to each other. Um, And and in fact, I would, I'm going to do something that I think some trans people might um, obje- not object to as advice, but might offer a different kind of advice. Um, uh, but for the person who's transitioning, um, I would say really do your best to try and understand what your partner is going through. And that's something that we forget to do, and it's something that I forgot to do. Um, and it took me quite a long time to... Uh, to come round to that because everything was changing for me um, and I had started hormone therapy and you know weird things happen to you when you turns you upside when down you, and when you when you stop one set of hormones <laughs> and you start another one right and I thought well I'm in my late 40s I have lots of life experience I'm going to be able to manage my feelings and my emotions <laughs> <laughs> It no. kind of throws you back into puberty yeah. again, right? Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> and um, and so it um, so that was important learning for me yeah. was to uh, come around to remembering that, and and in some ways that's learning that I really only fully absorbed a little while back when I was I was feeling I was feeling upset and frustrated with. Um, uh, the way some people who I love were responding to my gender transition and my partner and by then we uh, things had stabilized quite quite well for us but she just said this one thing to me which really shifted my perspective she said you know one thing that I think you're forgetting here is that while you may not have liked who you were before mm. A lot of people in your life liked that guy a lot, mm. right? And they, it's hard for them to let him go. Mm. They didn't get a vote. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And a lot mm. of trans people would say, yes, but if you really love 
me, if you really love this person, mm. then you'll want to um, change and adapt uh, in order to accept who they are. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Mm -hmm. But also relationships are a two-way street, mm -hmm. right? Um, and uh, and we need to be open. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it goes back to that, you know, just that keep listening piece. That makes me think mm -hmm. of yeah. how um, former names are often referred to as dead names. Yeah. And even in that phrasing, there is an acknowledgement of what was is no longer. Yeah. And so I think that points to what you're saying there is that while there's a personal leaving behind, there's also all of our relationships and all of those people that we had connections with, they, yeah. they are being invited, called, <laughs> requested yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to also mm -hmm. leave, leave something behind yeah. and embrace what is mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a lovely way to put that. And yeah, a recognition that that's a process yeah. and that it takes a different amount of time for yeah. everybody and it and and it um, we yeah. approach it in different ways yeah. and I think it's lovely that you mentioned that as as part of the relationship and I and, you know it, it it feels like it should go without saying but I don't want to go without saying that of course mm -hmm. for the partner who's not transitioning mm -hmm. to be doing the listening to because yeah. as you were yeah. saying you yeah. you might have thought that you knew what it was gonna you could handle it yeah and then not necessarily so and mm -hmm. so the grace and the compassion that yeah. must be kind of a constant river flow yeah. for mm -hmm. for everybody figuring out the new territory that they're navigating. Yeah, yeah, and it's and and I think one thing that one thing that I at least for some of us that grace and compassion is something that's learned, mm. right? Um, and uh, and um, and uh, yeah, and so there's a, a lot of opportunities to learn and a lot of opportunities to. To fail and to learn from the failing. That's right. Yeah. 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 We've got um, one of your show and tell items. Yes. Is uh, the the M amber necklace yeah, that yeah. you that you received from your mom. Yeah. And there's you, you were telling us a lovely story about that. I was wondering if you wanted to share about what sure. that means to you. Yeah. 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 So um, my mom uh, my mom died just over three months ago, and. Um, uh, she had been ill for some time. We knew that that we knew that this was coming, and I. Um, uh, and so, in many ways, in many ways, uh, well, I was going to say, I'll, I'll just say that it was expected. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but one thing that was one thing for me. So I've been. Uh, I started my gender transition really, I guess you could say it properly started in a formal sense in January of 2013. So uh, it's um, uh, about six and a half years, right? Um, uh, and um, one thing that I had, one thing that to me, it f <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> this is it's hard to put this in words. It's an important story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So one yeah. thing, one thing that um, to me had felt like a thing that my mother and I hadn't quite managed to figure out how to do. Um, she'd been ill for about three years uh, before she died. Well, she'd been ill for longer, but we knew what was going on at that point. Um, was we'd never quite figured out how to be a mother and a daughter together. And she had, she had, um, as she thought, three sons. Um, so she'd never had to 
be a mother to a daughter. She'd never learned what it was like to have a daughter. And of course, I was learning what it was like to be a daughter, and I felt like we'd never quite figured that out. And um, uh, about three weeks before her death, um, I uh, I said to her, Mom, you know that um, amber necklace that or pendant that you wore a lot in the 1970s. And she was like, yeah, I remember that. I know that. I said, so that's the first piece of jewelry I remember noticing and really being aware of. Um, uh, And uh, I would really like to be able to wear that at your funeral. And she said, okay, that sounds fine kind of thing. And let's just go through my jewelry, which she had said to me before was... I would get because there was no other daughter to give it to. Um, But it was that day, that afternoon that we sat together on her bed and she, we went through all of her jewelry and she told me the stories about the one pieces that had story attached to them. uh, And, uh, and and so on that for me anyway, something really clicked. We felt to me, it felt finally like, we were a, a, a mother and a daughter together in ways that I hadn't felt that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really so grateful to have that experience before she died because m- for me, one of the pieces, I did a lot of mourning before she died because I knew it was coming. And one of the big pieces, the really difficult pieces in there was feeling like my mother was going to die without us ever figuring out mm-hmm. what it meant to be uh, a mother and a daughter. Right. So so that's so that's so this is a really important piece of jewelry for me mm-hmm. for that reason. And another piece another bit of that story is just that my mother was Danish. Um Denmark is a Baltic country. The Baltic is one of the main sources of amber in the world. So all of the nations around the Baltic have a tradition of amber jewelry. Mm -hmm. And my mom has a small collection of amber, Mm -hmm. uh, had a small collection, which I now have. Um, And so also there's this sense of of having my mom's amber also ties me to to a past, to a lineage. uh, I'm starting one thing, and I don't know how common this is for trans women, but it's certainly it's something that I've struggled with, is having a sense that I belong to a matriarchal line. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Because sense. I was raised to be a son. Right. And to think of myself as a son. Right. To find mm-hmm. your way into that's feeling right. the connection with the matriarchal that's, line. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And so there's something about having mm-hmm. the amber that comes from my mother's own history that goes back to the place she came from that helps and to goes back me. to the land as that, well. Yeah, that's so right. Not just the culture on the land, yeah. but the land itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. sort of ties me to that and gives me that sense of of of, of matriarchal connection. Yeah. So, and you also have a lariat. Yes. Here. Uh, this is a bolo tie. So yeah. this um, uh, this was. Um, uh, this goes back to my relationship with my partner Tasha. Um, so uh, when uh, when I, I I moved to Vancouver in 1993 from Ottawa to be with her, um, and uh, and at that time I I told her that not long into that relationship that about 
I told her as much about my gender as I could, as 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 I felt I could at the time, or as that I as I understood at the time, and I, I came to understand it very differently later. Mm-hmm. Um, and one little piece of this is that I have, I, I had always hated wearing ties. Um, they were just such a representation of, of masculinity that I didn't want to have to own. And Tasha at that time worked um, uh, the, the, she was a student at and also um, also worked for the Vancouver School of Theology which is on UBC campus. And one of the things that she did was help to run a, a Native Ministries summer school. So indigenous Christians who came from all over Canada and also from the U.S. for a, uh, for a, a, um, a kind of a school a, 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 a summer school around indigenous ministry and one of the one of the people who came uh, every year was uh, uh, a woman from the Dakotas who was a silversmith mm. um, and um, and uh, and so Tasha during that summer school uh, bought me this beautiful bolo tie made by an indigenous woman so and you can see from the picture it has mm-hmm. an arrowhead mm-hmm. it's an arrowhead and it's a braided leather um uh tie as a way of giving me something that i could wear in formal situations that wasn't a tie yes right yeah um and uh i um and it's 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 so beautiful and i and i haven't worn it in in a very long time, but I would also never give it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm now at a point in my own, in my own post-transition life, right, where I'm starting to feel the confidence that under the right circumstances, I could actually imagine wearing. I this. I can feel that too. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't yeah. have to be inherently masculine. That's it right. can actually become yeah. a part of your yeah. your yeah, yeah, current yeah. feminine. Yeah. yeah. So so I haven't done that yet. But yeah. I feel like uh, feel there will like be a day. There will be a day. <laughs> Yeah, so. And your um, one of the other show and tell items you brought is ballet <laughs> slippers, and and I'm dying to talk about the ballet. Let's talk about ballet. <laughs> Do you want to ask it? You have a question you want to ask about the well? I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna share with the with the listeners a little bit that you'd mentioned in your yeah. in your bio before you send. So um, Marianne mentioned in her bio that she she's started learning ballet and she dances joyfully and badly. And I just I found that so <laughs> delightful. So refreshingly honest. Yes, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. So tell us about the joy of ballet. Okay, so uh, so I started I started taking a ballet class once a week or mostly once a week anyway uh, two years ago um, right around this time actually two years ago um, and how that came about was this um, I have a friend uh, and colleague who uh, who dances um, and she loves to dance and she takes dance classes of all kinds and she does all sorts of different types of dancing um, and uh, she. Uh, put out a call on Facebook that summer two years ago. She said, I've never taken a tap class. I've never learned to tap dance. And um, and who wants to who wants to take a tap dancing class with me this summer? And then she tagged a bunch of people, including me. And knowing what my particular weaknesses are, she said, we could go buy tap shoes together, Marianne. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's shoes. Because it's shoes. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but I don't actually do dance classes. And here's why. And I gave her my whole set history of dance and trying to dance and feeling uncomfortable in my body and how and that goes all the way back to my childhood um, 
uh, in which I had lots of opportunities to do artistic things. I did theater, I did, uh, I, I, I sang in choirs, I had a lot of musical education, but dance was not a part of that. Um, and when I had tried to dance in a formal way, um, things just didn't work for me. Um, and I always felt embarrassed and I always felt humiliated. Things that pe other people seemed to be able to pick up really easily, I, uh, I didn't seem to be able to do, right? And so my, uh, my friend, uh, um, Katya, shout out to Katya. Um, <laughs> Katya said to me, basically she said to me, oh, I know the ballet teacher for you. I know the ballet studio for you. And uh, it would be an exaggeration to say that she forced me to go. But it was, uh, you know, there almost was, that. There's a, there was some nudging there was, going there was, on yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. And she even offered um, and did for a while. She said, I'll come to the class with you and I'll dance with you so that there's somebody there who you know. What a right? good friend. Um, and so I was like, okay, I will try it. Um, I don't, I'm not, I I don't promise to go back, uh, but I'll try it. You were leaving the door open. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Escape um, hatch. <laughs> and she was so right. The teacher was absolutely the right teacher for me. And the studio and the class was absolutely the right class for me. And, um, and, I, and I had so much fun. Um, uh, and, and it was really cathartic. It was this piece of being able to let go of any need to do it well and just to be able to do it right and, and enjoy it and enjoy it right and there's no expectation um in this particular um uh um in this particular studio which is incidentally if you're tweeting things out is called ballet lounge and it's on granville street um and is it specifically specifically uh um adult is for adult dancers they don't do any any children's classes mm -hmm. and it's very fitness oriented the um the owner of the business um as well as being a dancer is also a personal trainer and so on and and um and so you can do traditional ballet classes but you can also do really fitness oriented dance classes there as well mm -hmm. um i uh, and there were times in my in my childhood and my youth when i wanted to have opportunities to dance um, where I envied girls that ease with which dance was available to them. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. very good mm -hmm. phrasing. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it was not available to me. And so there has been something really healing, uh, mm -hmm. like going back um, and picking up pieces of things that were lost or right. broken and being right. able to... Um, Re being able to remember and remember yeah, that yeah. Uh, in my early fifties, starting to mm -hmm. do brilliant. ballet at the age of fifty-one, um, and uh, and you know when you start ballet at fifty-one, you'll never be a great dancer, right? <laughs> it's just not going to happen. But I but you can be a happy but, dancer, but I can be yes. a joyful dancer. That's right. 
if not a great one. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a wonderful story. I love it. So So if you're just joining us at the moment, you're listening to Essential Conversations with Rebecca and Luca. And our guest today is Marianne Saunders, who's a transgender educator and an amateur feminist theologian of trans embodiment. Yes. I love it. uh, And we're just hearing about the pink ballet shoes. And I think you also have a tattoo. Yes. That you wanted to talk about oh, today, sure. right? Oh, sure. There's time for me to talk I, absolutely. about that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so uh, the tattoo is of um, Ozma, uh, who oh. is um, for people who are um, unfamiliar with, or maybe familiar with, um, the um, the Wizard of Oz books by L. Frank Baum. Um uh, Ozma, so the first Wizard of Oz book is our familiar story about Dorothy and the Tin Man and the and the Cowardly Lion and who's the other one? The uh, the Scarecrow. The Scarecrow. Yes, Scarecrow. Um, yeah. uh, and the Wizard. And the Wizard, mm-hmm. right. Um, uh, that got made into the movie. But mm-hmm. Baum wrote a whole bunch of Oz books. Um, I didn't know that. I have to uh, go in my so, nose. <laughs> well, he wrote a lot because, and they, they sold really well and they were really popular. And then after he died, the publishing company hired uh, someone, uh, an author named Ruth Plumley Thompson, to write more because they were so, uh, they were such good sellers. Hot. Right, yeah. The, the first. The first four or five books are pretty good. Um, uh, some of them are in places they're very good, but after a while, yeah. But uh, <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah. um, uh, um, this second book is a really interesting one. Uh, it, uh, it in many ways it's a story quite similar to the first one with Dorothy. Only in this case, there's a boy named Tip, and he goes on these uh, this road trip with a bunch of peculiar uh, oddball. Um, characters. Um, uh, but one of the things that happens in this book is that towards the end, you get about, you get about four-fifths of the way through and um, and uh, Glinda, the, the, the good witch from the first book, uh, shows up and it turns out that Glinda is trying to figure out what happened to the lost princess of Oz who uh, disappeared um, uh, many years before. And, uh, and she's managed to figure out that uh, the wizard, who when he came and was consolidating power for himself, gave the princess to a sorceress or a witch to hide. And um, and Glinda's finally puts all the pieces together, and it turns out that um, Tip had been born a girl... Uh, had been transformed as an infant into a boy. And Glinda is now saying, you need to return to your true form. And, oh, uh, powerful. And, and Tip's like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but after a while, he's like, well, okay, fine, I'll try it. Um, and, uh, and, I rem- and there's a lot that I could tell you about where I was and how I felt when I read this book as a child, but I'm... There's probably not time for me to tell you all that, but Amazing. it. Uh, but it. But it. Uh, but what's interesting about that is that it um, is that it gave me a sense uh, as a young person that there were other people in the world like me in a way that I hadn't really had a sense before, um, even though this was a secret self. And then I forgot about mm. that book. And then in my. Um, in my late teens and my early 20s, I developed an interest in children's literature, which 
persists in my academic <laughs> life Good. to this mm-hmm. day. And I was rereading and, and reading anew all kinds of things. And I and so I got to that second book, which is called The Marvelous Land of Oz. And I was reading it again, and I was, and I was, I don't know, um, three quarters of the way through, and all of a sudden, just the hair stood up on the back of my neck, and my whole body went. <gasps> I know where this is going. <laughs> and, and that all that came back to me. So wow. this is this is this is Ozma uh, as she appears in the frontispiece of the third book because yes. she's then yeah. in every single book, Oz book after that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was my fiftieth birthday present to myself. I love um, because when I was in my mid to late forties, um, no, in my early to mid forties, because I guess really I started to really seriously pursue gender transition when I was about 46. Before that, I was having a really hard time imagining that I would live to be 50 mm-hmm. because I I couldn't bear the thought mm-hmm. of having to carry on in the world as a man. Mm-hmm. And then and so then uh I kind of transitioned socially and professionally and so on when I was 47 years old and then in my 50th year I was like huh I'm still here and I'm happy and so uh, mm-hmm. so this was my 50th birthday present to myself was, was inscribing on my body that yeah. history yeah yeah Oh, that's so powerful. I'm glad we wow. stuck around for that story. Yeah. Fantastic. I'm, I, I think we've ran out of time to do your second song, unfortunately. Oh, no. I'll, oh, well. I'll still tweet out the link for that yeah, so that yeah, everybody can, can yeah. connect in. Yeah. Um, with the last remaining time that we've got, is there anybody that might be listening that you would love to reach out to you? Um, oh, that's a really good question. I always enjoy meeting um, uh, other trans people who have faith lives. Doesn't matter whether you're Christian or not, you know, mm-hmm. who, but for whom a spiritual life is really important. Uh, so those are people who would, I'd love to connect with. And also people, specifically trans people who are Christians who haven't felt welcome in their church communities. Um, uh, I think there are affirming uh, uh, faith communities out there uh, for for them. And uh, so those are people who I would be interested in hearing from as well. And really anybody who's touched by um, any part of anything I've had to say today. But those would be the specific ones, I think. Yeah. And uh, people can get hold of me. I'm on Facebook under I'd Marianne S. Saunders. And that's the easiest way to and that's Marianne, me. two words, two space words. in between, no E. No E, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I've just um, tweeted out a link to your Facebook okay, page, too, great. so people can find you that way. Marianne, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having this me delightful. Here. Yeah, it's been yeah. such a pleasure. I've been, I've been so, so pleased to have been given this opportunity. We'll have to have you again, because I think I we, only, just we just scraped the tip of the iceberg. Um yeah, there's so there's much more to dive there's into. There's more conversations yeah. to mine here. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. 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 Um, Luca, is there anything coming up that you want to tell people about before we close out? I'm heading to Victoria Monday, Tuesday, mm. Wednesday next week. So if there's anybody who's listening who's over there uh, who'd be interested in a reading, I'll be doing some readings while I'm over there. And mm. I hope to go back again in the future. That's so, good. Uh, and your b- blossom housing stuff. Yeah, it's still still progressing. So still on the hunt for more houses for people to um, 
take a step sideways on this housing crisis, creating new opportunities using especially the big empty houses that are going unused. And also, I am accepting some new uh, coaching clients these days. So if you're yes, curious about I am that, too, so. yes, you can uh, find our we're websites. We're both open to all <laughs> kinds of new uh, client liaisons. Yes. Essential Conversations is brought to you courtesy of Luca Halleck's Power Sorcerer. And Rebecca Mears, Certified Coach. Increase your awareness, expand your options, empower yourself. Luca can be reached at www.lucahalix.com. I light the fires that light a thousand more. Connect with Rebecca at catchingfire.ca. Yep, yep, yep. yep, yep, yep. Oh, Happy, 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 happ